This call is being recorded. You are Locked On Browns, your daily podcast covering the Cleveland Browns, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Uh, back again at it, everybody. Uh, we'll get to some Browns news here today, some talk of improvised possible NFL schedule. Uh, NFC East is on the Browns schedule this year. So we're going to get to all of that here. Your host, Jeff Lloyd. Uh, joining me with uh, joining me from SI.com, Mr. Pete Smith, part of the team over at Browns Digest. And obviously had a great weekend here, putting out a bunch, a bunch of content as we go through, uh, you know, finish up here, everything, 2020 NFL draft. Uh, Pete, the big news yesterday, and you'll get an op- opportunity, I guess, to victory lap here. Uh, Fifth-year options extended down to Miles Garrett. Fifth-year option extended down to David Najoku. Um, you know, obviously, you know, Harrison Bryant being here for, you know, 48 hours hasn't run David Njoku out of town just yet, Pete. Um, yeah, I mean, they've when when Stefanski was hired, he talked about how excited he was about Njoku, and he, he's quick to point out that Njoku has to do his part. And then Andrew Barry at the end of the draft basically said, look, we plan on ha- having him here. Uh, so it wasn't a huge surprise. The fifth-year option for tight ends isn't very much. Uh, and and I, and if he's, you know, if he's what they hope he can be, they're going to sign him again. I mean, that's where this thing's going. He's 23. He did turn 24 in July. Uh, he's barely older than some of the guys who were drafted in this class. Uh, tight ends just take a while, and that's part of the thing. Is like even though you you draft Harrison Bryant, Harrison Bryant may take a while. So uh, they are hoping they've gotten through most of. That incubation period with uh, Najoku is a huge part of their offense. So that part um, always seemed pretty – even if they didn't pick up his option, I thought there was a good chance they would try to re-sign him. Uh, the Miles Garrett one is, uh, is more surprising to me um, based on the fact that I thought they might just go ahead and uh, skip it and just try to go start uh, negotiating his extension now. And the reason for that is simply – uh, that the salary cap is supposed to sort of spike the next couple of years. And if you pick up his 20, his, his fifth year option, you know, the cut, the cap spikes after this year. Um, and then after that option year, you know, you may end up paying him a whole lot more money. Uh, whereas he, you might've locked him into a, a, a more cost effective deal. Uh, now, obviously, um, this works out better theoretically for Miles Garrett, which is perfectly fine. Uh, but that's the only reason I thought it might get uh, declined. And then they just said, here, here's your $200 million deal or whatever it is. Uh, so that's the only part that I thought was a little interesting. I mean, obviously, look, Miles Garrett, they plan on having him for uh, as long as they can. But, uh, but yeah, it's, it, it, it's an interesting way to go. Uh, the one benefit, though, is because um, they did pick up his option, his uh, 2021 season will be cheaper than anticipated, at least for my end. And again, they, they're going to have – they're sort of trying to create this nice little window where they can really go – or at least seemingly can make a big run. Oh, yeah, it opens up for, you know, to do some high-end shopping uh, in – the 2021 offseason, the way that will work out there. Um, we did have one somebody uh, send it through the DMs, Pete. Explain a little bit just why the fifth-year option exists on these first-round picks. And it is funny, though, because, you know, 
you know, obviously more of them are picked up than not. But, I mean, it does give a team to say, all right, well, it, it hasn't been working out here. And with the guaranteed contract here, the last thing we want to do is get, in for this, get into this for a fifth year when we weren't really satisfied with the first three years. Yeah, I mean, it, it came into the CBA, the last one, when they uh, sort of, when they re, when they got rid of basically the Sam Bradford deals, um, you know, where he'd be the highest play, player on the team and he hadn't done anything yet. Um, for first round picks, um, you, you have the, the first four years, which are largely pretty reasonable contract wise, and, and, and depending on where you picked them, they're downright cheap. And then that fifth year, um, depending on where you picked, is sort of an average of uh, outside the top 10 or 15. I think it's an average of the top 25 contracts or something like that. And if it's earlier than that, it's the average of a higher higher group. Uh, basically making sure that if they um, are you know worthwhile, they're going to get a, a, a nice little payday at least one of the years uh, before they negotiate a second contract. The flip side of that is it protects uh, teams if guys are just bad or whatever, something, you know, it just doesn't work out and they can decline them and not pay out nearly as much money. Um, but now you're also seeing because of the fifth year option, how much it can sort of encourage player movement, which, I don't think the NFL hates by any stretch. I think they like having more uh, potential trades and stuff like that because it gives them more to talk about. But yeah, I mean, it's just a, a way to get first round picks, you know, paid a, di a, a, a difference compared to every other round. Uh, it makes first round contracts slightly more desirable, particularly for quarterbacks because you want that fifth year of control. Um, but yeah, I mean, it comes down to if, if your guy is good, he's going to get a, a pretty substantial payday, um, at least one on that rookie deal. Uh, again, it's just, you know, structural alignment here. And yeah, there was the, there was a lot, a lot of veterans that were not pleased that, you know, first pick, second pick, third pick, fourth pick overall in the draft were walking into a locker room as the highest paid player and had not taken an NFL snap to this point. Um, certainly made for a little more sanctimonious and a little more uh, harmony, it. so to speak. I'm sorry? Team say that because you had to, you know, if somebody was awful, you basically had to keep them for three and four years. I mean, you could take a quarterback who was just god-awful uh, and you were stuck with it because you, you couldn't just bail on the contract. You had, I mean, you're paying an obscene amount of money, so you had to sort of stick it out, whereas – now there's far less penalty to just move on and go go elsewhere, which is why, you know, uh, pretty absurdly, in my opinion, people are ready to move on from Dwayne Haskins after basically like seven games and saying, oh, they should take the quarterback and, and some of the other things. But it does enable you to sort of move on. I mean, Johnny Manziel is a good example. You could move on right now as opposed to, well, he's making, you know, $30 million and we're sort of stuck with it. And it dictated, you know, how things sort of worked from an ownership standpoint. I'm paying this guy umpteen million dollars this season. He better be on the field type thing. So it just, it, it makes for a better league, honestly. Uh, no, absolutely. And, you know, just the way the, the way the game is played and it's so much in the locker room. And the other thing is, this also takes a little bit less pressure 
offset rookie who's coming in as a highest paid player. And, you know, there's always going to be some sort of, uh, you know, bumps along the road, so to speak here. Uh, people, I guess, I think it's about 10 to 12 days here. We'll get the 2020 NFL schedule. And it is, it, it's essentially got a back tour to it where um, could start on time, could start October 15th, which means we're playing football well up in, I would guess I would have to say March, so to speak. Um, no, I'm sorry, no buys in it whatsoever here with that contingency. Um, we'll see. Um, yeah, I'm assuming they're going to have to put a deadline on to when it's going to go one way or the other. My guess would be somewhere probably by the middle of June because if everything's going to be amped up and go to normal at the end of July, I mean, these teams are going to have to be ready, have their plans in place. So, you know, so they know if it's either end of July or say maybe it's September when everything starts to convene. Yeah, I mean, look, the NFL is worth however many billion dollars, and they have a very, very motivated workforce because, you know, careers can be over in three and four years, and so they want to have a season. So they're going to do everything they can to make sure that happens, and they're going to come up with every possible contingency to ensure that because there's just too much uh, out there uh, to to just be like, nope, we're going to hold off next year. There's just way too much so um they're going to do everything they can to make it work um the no bye weeks thing that's that's a tough pill to swallow uh but uh it'll be interesting hopefully you know the perfect situation would be even though you know we're probably not going to see anybody uh on the on a practice field until july um that maybe they can uh get this thing on time, you know, with no fans and, and that stuff, which is, you know, hard, hardly a sacrifice. But there's a real possibility that uh, this whole thing could end up uh, getting delayed, especially as some states are trying to open back up. And, and if people get sort of lax and and uh, don't take it as seriously or, you know, just by virtue of being, you know, closer together, that this thing sort of fires back up and things get shut down again or whatever. Yeah, and that's going to be part of it because it's going to have to be the the entire country, and there's going to be some areas that obviously, you know, the numbers are much, you know, are much closer down, much closer to, you know, less scarcity. But there's still going to be those areas where it's going to still be an issue, um, and a big issue. And you know, there's no way you can play ball essentially until everybody is, you know, pretty much, you know, at least the players and the talent are going to be guaranteed their safety. More coming here. On Lockdown Browns, Jeff Lloyd, Pete Smith. We'll get to uh, NFC East on the schedule here. We'll start peeking in on what those four teams did during the draft this year. Like I said, more coming here on Lockdown Browns. If you're like me, you're probably thinking about what you're going to have for dinner the second you're done eating lunch. I love food. That's why I love using Postmates. But I kind of love them more right now because I can get food delivered without leaving the house or even opening the door. Given what's going on in the world, they created non, uh, non-contact delivery. So now when I order from a local restaurant, everything gets left right outside my door. They also have Postmates Pickup, which I've been using to order takeout from my favorite local restaurants. Now, listen up, guys. Uh, these are the people that, you know, sponsor your kids, youth teams. You know, anybody needs anything. What do you do for your school? we got a fundraiser. You go to the local businesses. They've always been there for you. Maybe it's time that you find a way to go ahead and be there for them. And Postmates just doesn't deliver burgers and sushi. They actually make my life easier by picking up I got everything I need from Walgreens and 7-Eleven and dropping it off at my door. Uh, and uh, download Postmates now on iOS or Android. Android, find your favorites and get anything you want 
delivered within the hour. For a limited time, Postmates is giving our listeners a $100 of free delivery credit credit for your first seven days to start your free deliveries. Download the app and use the promo code Locked On NFL. All caps, no space. That's Locked On NFL for $100 off the free de- uh, off of free delivery credit for your first seven days when you download the Postmates app. Anything you need, anytime you need it, Postmates. I'm all for you supporting those local restaurants. They certainly need it. But at some point, you're going to have to make that uh, that Postmates uh, move to go get those those burgers and stuff. We got to get this the done. The arches. The arches. Yes, the arches. The arches. The arches. Uh, kicking in here to the NFC East. Um, and I guess, where do we start here? I guess we could just take it in alphabetical order. We can go that route here. Dallas Cowboys. Um, had the board fall on Pete. You get a guy like C.D. Lamb here. Um, I guess the point in Dallas is we're going to try and score you know, 40 a week. Um, Trevon Diggs out of Alabama. Stephon Diggs, a little brother, going to go play down in Dallas. Neville Gallimore. Uh, Reggie Robinson, cornerback out of Tulsa. Tyler Viadas, uh, center, interior lineman out of Wisconsin. I'll, I'll continue to butcher that last name. Bradley and I, which was once a really, really hot draft name, going 179 no, overall. And Ben DiNucci, quarterback, James Madison, your 2020 Dallas Cowboys NFL draft class. Yeah, the CD Land pick is interesting. Um, obviously, they uh, they were not expecting it. Uh, to work out that way. So they went ahead and grabbed him, you know, when, when it seemed like the whole time they were hoping they would be able to get uh, a guy like uh, Chase on who went a couple picks later uh, to Jacksonville. I was a little surprised they didn't run the card up and take him, but you know, now they've set themselves up to where they're hoping to score, you know, 40 every week uh, because their defense is going to stop anybody. Trevon Diggs, you know, I'm not as big of a fan as some people, but, Fine. Neville Gallimore, he's uh, unproductive, he's unathletic, but he's Canadian, so he's probably pretty nice. Uh, but I don't <laughs> think that's going to work. And combine that with Tristan Hill, who isn't working out thus far, I, I have real questions about their defensive tackles. Reggie Robinson's interesting, um, cornerback from Tulsa. Uh, you know, center is so hard in terms of like, weighing athletic measurables because it's like the the least indicative position uh but he's been around forever so he could be a nice player obviously he's he's well uh regarded he's been a good quality center he's got a bunch of awards um and they is slow he's slow and unathletic and he is productive and he is pretty strong but that's why he fell, and and I don't even know if you want to call it falling. In so many ways, he just reminds me of of Nate Orchard in terms of yeah, there's all this production, and then you're wondering how this is going to work. And hopefully for Nate, it works better than it did for Orchard. But you know, this is you're taking this in round five as opposed to round two, uh, and. Uh, <laughs> James Madison quarterback, sure. I mean, yeah, when they made the pick, all these people were like, well, this is, the, you know, maybe this could be the next Tony Runner. So, so um, I think Dallas has a lot of issues, um, but if they can score a ton of points, then it may cover up for a lot of those issues. But uh, it's just a question, how much are you going to be able to get out of a defense that is largely gone? 
Um, they need some of these guys to be able to contribute immediately, uh, which is not where you really want to be. But if they can even get uh, one of those corners or maybe both of them to contribute a little, it could go a long way in sort of helping them. Uh, you know, look, C.B. Lamb is just interesting because the kids of ball are here. Um, it does seem a little bit like overkill um, with the amount of money that you've got invested in the skill, um, you know, yet pass rusher, um, you know, maybe, at, you know, obviously at the time with Kinlaw, uh, you know, with the defense, the tackles being gone, that really wasn't going to be able to something they could necessarily address there, probably something that hopefully they were intending to address there. Um, but just to go, I guess, you know, essentially just, you know, go berserk on, you know, the offense and the skill and figured you know, whatever, we'll let the you know rest of the chips fall where they may. Uh, we'll see. And it's not like they can do a lot free agency because, uh, Cap, obviously, certainly an issue here. And, yes, the uh, Cleveland Browns will be heading to Jerry World this year, road game with the Dallas Cowboys. New York Giants. Uh, Dave Gettleman did a little bit better this year. Uh, Andrew Thomas, number four overall. Can't argue the selection for me, top tackle in the class. Come back, you get a safety. Xavier McKinney in the second round here. Uh, you have Matt Parrott uh, out of Connecticut. They go with a home, uh, hometown kid, uh, Bronx native. Uh, Matt Parrott now going to go play for the Dallas Cowboys. Get yourself a nickel cornerback in Darnay Holmes. It seems like they put a lot, a lot, Pete, into the secondary over the last couple of years. Interior offensive lineman Shane Lemieux out of Oregon. A linebacker Cameron Brown out of Penn State. Uh, Pete's guy Carter Coughlin. Uh, you know, Ed Rusher out of Minnesota. T.J. Brunson, South Carolina. Chris Williamson, Minnesota. Tay Crowder, Georgia, closing out, You know, which was a really, really, really crazy, crazy run of SEC players every year like it really is. Um, they have obviously tackle issues, Pete. They get obviously one taken care of right away with Andrew Thomas. Uh, Parrot, it gives you maybe a year to see where you're at, that you're at to see if this kid can ultimately become a starter. And I know you've been, I, you know, Coughlin on day three, you know, McKinney, not so big, but I know Coughlin on day three was a guy that you liked. Uh, right. So Andrew Thomas, uh, which is a weirdly criticized pick, I think he's going to be great uh, for them. Uh, he settled, set, immediately starts at one tackle spot. They probably move Nate Solder over to the other side. And then in a year, uh, they're hoping Matt Pert can take over that right tackle spot. And both those guys are really good prospects to me um, in terms of what they offer offensively. And it gives the Giants just a ton of length. Um, they're both over six, they're, they're, you know, Matt Pert's over six, six, somewhere in that neighborhood. Andrew Thomas, uh, six five, um, with with interesting movement skills for the position. It just really feels like they actually are going to protect something, um, which is a notable change. Daniel Jones should be thrilled. Xavier McKinney's fine. I don't think he's. I, I think he's a strong safety. I don't think he's a free safety. I, I know they 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 think he's a free safety because you know they've got your real peppers and and those guys are going to play together and and. You know, they, they may do enough where you're basically having two hybrid combo safeties back there, and it's fine. He's a good tackler, uh, does a lot of things. You know, him and Peppers really are really a lot alike, I think. And maybe that's where that what that dynamic's trying to be, which if, not, if nothing else should be fun. Uh, Darnay Holmes is okay. I don't – I know a lot of people really thought he was one of the better slot corners. Uh, I'm not sure I see it that way. Lemieux's fine. Again, you've got three offensive linemen so far in this draft, and you needed all of them. So that's uh, good. I, I, 
obviously, uh, I really like Carter Coughlin. I think he's a guy you can find uh, ways to contribute. And then, you know, whether it's Cameron Brown, TJ Brunson, Tate Crowder, Chris Williamson, you know, it's depth, fighting for spots, and seeing who can contribute on special teams. Like, you pick uh, four linebackers in your uh, in round six and seven, they're not all going to make the team. So it's going to make a very cre- uh, competitive environment uh, to see who can do what and, and who can thrive. And then, again, special teams is just such a huge part of that. So I think the Giants, for the most part, had a very productive draft in terms of, you know, if they want this Daniel Jones thing to work, um, they've taken the steps to sort of help ensure that happens. I, you know, it, it, all these people are heaping praise on Dave Gettleman, and, and I think in, in some ways it's deserved, but I can't ignore the fact that the past two drafts he had were god-awful, and it doesn't erase the fact that those things happen. Uh, but hopefully this is much better for the Giants' sake. Um, and, you know, maybe get yourselves out of, uh, you know, drafting in the top 10 for you know, so many years in a row here for Dave Gettleman. Uh, more coming here, Locked on Browns, Jeff Lloyd, Pete Smith. Uh, you're not subscribed on iTunes. Make sure you're taking care of that. You're not following on Spotify. Make sure you're taking care of that. Uh, five-star ratings, written reviews, all the rage. I do appreciate it. Uh, make sure you follow on Browns Digest on social media and obviously all the stuff Pete and his team through SI.com. Uh, you know, busy week here and, uh, you know, obviously try to cover the living daylights out of it. So please go ahead and, uh, you know, at least uh, pay the piper, so to speak, on that. But uh, obviously, Pete and the team continues just putting work out, te- uh, putting work out over uh, on SA.com through Browns Digest. Make sure you guys are all checking it out over there. Philadelphia Eagles. Um, it, it was the, interesting the way it started. You know, I'm not. You know, Jalen Rager was a player I liked. I'm not necessarily sure I saw Jalen Rager as a first round pick. But you know, obviously for them, and they've always felt you know how much Deshaun Jackson did for them. They're trying to replicate that somehow, some way. The Jalen Hurts pick in round two is certainly interesting. Uh, Pete, one of your favorites in round three, and Davion Taylor. Uh, Kavon Wallace, nice uh, get where they got him. You know, obviously a guy with a ton of experience. Um, one of my favorite, uh, you know, one of my favorite mid-round tackles in the class, Jack Driscoll out of Auburn. Wide receiver John Hightower out of Boise State. Sean Bradley out of Temple. Uh, then, of course, you know, Quez Watkins tripled up at the wide receiver position out of Southern Miss. Smart move here. Just a really, really smart move. The second to last pick of the sixth round, picking up Prince Tay Winogo. Who knows? Who really knows what the interest, the issue is? Is the knee too totally screwed? But they did draft two tackles here. Maybe give some credence to the fact that there were some trade rumors from Andre Dillard. I've heard a little bit that they're not thrilled. They think Andrew Andre Dillard might be a little soft, uh, a little tough to say after just one season. Uh, Casey Toehill, um, late, late in the seventh, gambling it on an athlete. See what you can get out of it. Um, but look, the Eagles, for the most part, they do good things. They know what they need. They attack it. They attack it hard. They did it here in this class. Um, cl- class overall is interesting, but you know that Jalen Hurts in round two, Pete, that's a big talking point. And I don't get it. Like Carson Wentz is a really good quarterback, but he gets hurt, and like you don't want your 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 team to be in a position where. Carson Wentz goes down uh, and the season's over and you get a quarterback who can provide some interesting dynamics. I don't know how seriously they're 
really considering the whole Taysom Hill element to it, it wouldn't surprise me. Uh, but he's the type of quarterback that's worth sort of developing and seeing what you can get out of him in a situation where you have Carson Wentz. And Carson Wentz' contract isn't, you know, isn't letting them just walk away. It's not like they're doing this to replace him. But um, and I do not buy the whole. Well, what if our starting quarterback gets you know, COVID-19. Well, if they do, then the entire team is exposed likely and you're done for at least two weeks. That's stupid. Um, But, you know, you get a quarterback that that showed uh, talent and growth. And and I don't know how good Jalen Hurts can truly be, but he's going to a great situation in terms of coaching. uh, And, you know, stylistically, he's not all that different from Carson Wentz. Obviously, Carson Wentz is much bigger, but Jalen Hurts is built like a linebacker. He's a thick, strong dude who can run people over. So we talked about this with, like, uh, the Baltimore Ravens and the Buffalo Bills, where you have a quarterback who's uh, part of your offense is running with it. You have to be able to account for it and get another quarterback or two that can sort of step in and not force you to change your offense. You don't want to be in that ridiculous Cam Newton, Derek Anderson dynamic where if Cam Newton goes down like he did at one point, Derek Anderson couldn't be any more different of a player. So it just makes no sense. Whereas uh, Hertz is somebody who can do a lot of the things uh, Wentz can. That's important. Uh, Jalen Rager, is Corey Coleman on the field. He just is. I mean, they are eerily the same. They are both freakishly athletic in terms of their ability to go down the field and catch the ball. They're they're great with the ball in their hands. They both have some issues with drops. Uh, they're both coming out of programs that don't, you know, that, that uh, don't sort of have their, their receivers coming out super, super developed. So there's a there's a learning curve with it, and it's entirely a question of, you know, is he going to be better off the field or in just general life decision making uh, than than Coleman was? So, like, you know, for Bronze fans who are like, well, Corey Coleman, they never should have made that pick. No one would have wanted him. Well, the Eagles are are taking Jalen Rager six picks later in a stacked receiver class because those type of receivers are really good if they work. So. Um, we'll see. I, I think it's interesting. I, but uh, I would, I, I stopped mentioning him for the Bronx because I didn't want to hear it. Uh, Davion Taylor. I love him. He's freakishly athletic. Uh, he's still raw. He's still learning, but the dude played high school football for four years and barely played in any games because he was a, a seventh day Adventist and he wasn't allowed to play sports after dark. Uh, but he practiced the entire time. Like he didn't, you know, any number of players you run into would just be like, yeah, screw this. I'm not doing that. But he did it. And then he turns 18 and his mom basically gives him his, her blessing that she can choose what he wants to do with his life. And uh, he goes the Juco route, finds his way to Colorado. Every place he's been, he's regarded as a really hard worker and a, and a, and a guy who can learn. And that's the type of player you'd love to gamble on 
um, if you're the Eagles to sort of get a linebacker. Again, they have the same, I should say, the Browns have the same mindset with linebackers that the Eagles have. It's just not a priority, but you can take these guys, and if they hit, you're really happy for that contract. Uh, Kayvon Wallace, role player, he can play slot. He can do some free safety things. He can do some strong safety things. Just a solid player, unsung guy at a at a program that put out so many guys. Jack Driscoll, I think he's already better than Vitae, so you got that going for you. Um, they <laughs> he Vitae went in free agency, so they get Jack Driscoll and Prince Tega Winogo. I think they're largely competing for one spot. Uh, Winogo had a knee issue he played with. And then it was it came to the Senior Bowl, and they found, you know, something that wasn't sort of repaired or healed or whatever. So he didn't do that, and then it didn't do it to combine. Um, so I don't know what the deal is there, but that has to be the root of this because he's a really, really talented player uh, who, you know, he's still developing. Again, he's another player who's new to the game, but just has a lot of these things you you look for. So. As a six-round flyer, you're thrilled because, you know, you only really need, if you're the Eagles, either Driscoll or Winogo to, to, to work out to sort of uh, make the team. But if you get both of them, uh, then then that's all the better. Uh, Sean Bradley is a guy I mentioned way back when because he tested really, really well at the Combine, and he's sort of a will linebacker type. He just doesn't take on contact well, but he just flies around. Not a great tackler either. Uh, the only thing that really hurts him is he's older, so you don't know what sort of left. But he should be a guy who can play on special teams. And just they, they, the linebackers they added in this draft are really fast. Um, and then Casey Tuhill is a guy I really like. Late bloomer in terms of when he sort of put it together at Stanford, which seems to be against what the Browns are trying to do in the draft. But there, there's reason to believe that you know he's like 250 pounds that if he can find a way to stick, he could easily end up being like 260, 265 in a couple of years just because of the way his frame is and how uh, how much room there is to sort of add to it. He's strong. He's fast. He tested incredibly well. He produced, despite not really being a, a, a polished pass rusher. So you get him in the seventh round. You know, if it doesn't work, you maybe stick him on the practice squad. And if it does, he may end up being – a long-term play that could be a really, really nice player down the road. So, you know, the Eagles are really good for a reason. They draft really well. Uh, fans may not love it because they were hoping to get a bunch of receivers and they ended up trading for Marcus Goodwin over the weekend, too. I don't think really does much for them. Um, but they got a lot of talent, and that's ultimately what they want uh, wanted to come out of this draft, as much as they may have wanted to draft 17 receivers. Uh, look, I mean, <laughs> 17 receivers, about right. Um, obviously hoping for uh, J.J. Arcega-Whiteside to uh, possibly show something here. Um, you know, Rager's fun. He's a toy on the offense here. You kind of double down with that with the uh, you know the trade from Marquise Goodwin. So if it takes a little while for Rager to adapt, adapt you've got that going on as well. Um, but, you know, drafting athletes, you know, drafting names to get Prince in the sixth round. And, look, I mean, even if the knee is totally shot and the kid ends up never playing it down in the NFL, at the time it was worth the gamble. Um, and when you're a good team, you're a smart team who's, you know, done their due diligence as far as taking care of their roster and, and trying to put together the best roster going into the draft that you can. 
you can go ahead and take a gamble like that. And it's really not a gamble. I mean, whatever name it was there in the sixth round, probability of whether or not he makes it is not. But um, at least you took a guy where the tape showed, and the tape showed he was a player. Uh, we'll close it out here. Washington Redskins. Chase Young, which, you know, obviously, you know, everybody knew was coming here. Uh, nice, small little assemblance of Ohio State players going on down there in D.C. Um, Antonio Gibson from Memphis listed as a wide receiver, a player on offense. I'm not sure if Washington with Ron Rivera and all of that stuff and what they've done in necessarily Carolina. I, I see where, you know, Antonio Gibson is going to flourish into this multi Talented player, a guy you can use in a myriad of ways. I don't know if that's going to happen with the Redskins. Uh, Sadiq Charles, LSU here, uh, obviously project guy who's you know, got to get his life uh, you know, focused, stay on track here to see any kind of success. Antonio Gandy-Golden from Liberty. Um, obviously, whoever was in the Browns front office uh, didn't get a chance to get that name out during the draft here. Uh, only the UDFAs uh, from Liberty coming to the Browns. Uh, center Keith Ismael out of San Diego State, linebacker Khalid Hudson, Hudson Michigan, uh, Cameron Curl, safety, Arkansas, and they closed it out with uh, James Smith-Williams, uh, edge rusher out of North Carolina here. I mean, now it was four years in a row they've invested in the defensive line in the first round. It's not a terrible idea here. Let's say you put together what the makings of what should be a really good uh, you know, defensive line here. Uh, I'm not sure if they did enough to essentially you know, replace the loss they're going to have at left tackle, um, granted, the whole Trent, Trent Williams situation just became a mess here. Um, they're the Redskins. I, I don't know if they're any closer to being relevant in the NFC East. Obviously, all of this is going to be down on Dwayne Haskins. Um, but look, you get Chase Young. Uh, hopefully, your defense is going to be able to limit the amount of points that you give up with strong defensive line play, making things easier possible for the offense. Pete, your 2020 Washington Redskins draft class. So with Chase Young and the guys they already have on there, they could be like the Eagles were around 1989 in that that area where they were not very good um, in terms of their whole team, but they just killed your quarterback. And you have to find a way to block them. They have three guys who are really, really talented players, Just and two of them are just absolute freak show athletes. Um, and they, they're going to find ways to put all of them on the field, as they should. I don't know if they'll do anything else on that this year, but they'll do that. Um, Antonio Gibson, uh, wide receiver, running back, whatever, he's a guy you get the ball in his hands and he does things. Um, and he's really fat. He's got four, three speed. And this is um, – I, I was – it was always a question with – him and Lyndon Bowden, sort of how this would sort out, and they both ended up going in the third round. I don't even know. I, I think Gibson went first, but maybe only barely. Uh, and then Sadiq Charles, um, he's young, he's athletic. There's so much potential with him, but he's get lets himself get into trouble. Um, has made a bunch of really bad decisions uh, that resulted in suspensions and. He's just not reliable, and if he can figure it out in Washington, and obviously everybody's good. Well, Ron Rivera is the great, this great guy who's going to get through to him. And if he does, they're going to be in great shape with that pick. If he doesn't, then it's a fourth round pick that essentially, you know, I wouldn't say it's quite Antonio Callaway bad risk, but it's in that direction. Uh, Antonio uh, Gandy Golden, okay, um, I, you know, I, he he does some interesting things athletically. Um, he's not 
I don't think he was as good as some of the other receivers that they could have taken there, but, you know, they just need more weapons. So hopefully that can work out. Keith Ishmael, uh, they're listing him as center. Um, he was really good at San Diego State. Um, they had uh, their, the tackle they had come la- uh, last year, who was uh, who was pretty good. It was a guy I sort of targeted for the Browns. Even watching him last year, this kid was kept jumping out on tape because he was just really really impressive. Uh, Kaliki Hudson from Michigan um, is sort of like you know that second level hybrid defender type. Like he played. He was essentially an oversized safety at Michigan that became a linebacker, and he was really productive for them, just flew around and did various things. Obviously, you know, he's like 225 pounds or someone in that neighborhood. You run at him, he's going to have a problem picking on contact, but if you can protect him, he can do things. He should be a guy that that helps them on special teams. Uh, Cameron Curl was one of the better free safety prospects in terms of data. Um, so he's interesting and you get him in round seven, um, which sort of goes to prove that this wasn't a great safety class. Thank God the Browns got dealt it. Uh, <laughs> and then, uh, James Smith Williams from NC state. He's a very nice looking body. Um, and you have to figure out if you can get him to sort of produce because he hasn't been that guy he looks like he's a he just he's first off the bus looks like a stud but he's just not really put it together in college and you, you're hoping that he can become something better in the nfl and if he can't you know you invested almost nothing in him and if he can then it becomes a really nice pick even if it's just a rotational guy uh yeah i mean look for them they need darius guys uh yeah obviously a lot invested. They thought he was going to be the guy here. Uh, barely got to, uh, anything from Darius guys in two seasons here. And Dwayne Haskins, you know, the maturation, the development. Um, it's it's going to be the key to, you know, where Washington is within a year or two. Or, you know, you strip it down. You're looking for another new quarterback. Um, <clears throat> and essentially starting this, you know, process all over again. And obviously, you know, Ron Rivera is not tied to Dwayne Haskins at any means. So, you know, that's just something you're going to have to, you know, play out here and look, it's going to be on Dwayne Haskins, uh, basically predominantly 100%. And, you know, obviously as, you know, Redskins will be making a trip into uh, first energy this year as well here. Uh, Pete yesterday came and went, uh, obviously all these free agents out there, um, you know, obviously it wasn't going to be an issue for the Browns. They want to take somebody. It wasn't going to affect anything, you know, uh, comp pick wise here, but nothing happened here. So, you know, we're waiting to see how this amps up here, the remaining of you know what's left of this free agent class. Well, the, the Giants made a move. Uh, by I didn't even making, know that was. I don't even know what that would that was. <laughs> yeah, they made it so uh, Marcus Golden um, has to sign by like July twenty second, or it sort of limits what he's able to do. So essentially, it just puts a clock on him. It's like a um, promise ring, I guess. Not even an engagement ring. It's a promise ring. <laughs> Very strange. But look, everything comes down to when is Clowney going to sign and where is Clowney going to sign? Because the Cam Newton thing is going to drag on for a long while. So it's all about it's all about Clowney. And then when he signs, Griffin will sign and presumably Golden will sign. Pete, where the hell is Cam Newton going to play football in 2020? <sighs> um. 
It's, I mean, like, if we're talking about this, like musical chairs, it's getting really, really hard to even come up with a name or two for two or three chairs. It, it, it depends on what's important to him. If he wants money, then it sort of limits what he can, you know, if he wants to be paid handsomely, you know, as he maybe serves or as a customer or whatever, he's probably really limiting his options. If he does what sort of James Winston did, um, where he goes, you know, he's he's comfortable being a backup somewhere uh, that could be a real important player, then I could see him easily end up in Pittsburgh. Uh, but, I mean, San, San Diego, Los Angeles Chargers make some sense, I guess, theoretically, but there's just really no the, – the other place that I guess makes sense would be Los – it would be – uh, the Las Vegas Raiders, but here's the, like supply is largely caught up with demand as far as quarterbacks go. And that's not to say that, you know, teams aren't going to take really good quarterbacks, but they have to believe that they're a really good quarterback. And obviously all these teams want to get uh, hands on with uh, their medical people to see w exactly where Cam is. They want to talk to them about various things. But there's, you know, his style of play is not necessarily for everyone. And there's some offenses that just don't make a lot of sense. But, like, it, again, if money's not the issue here, I could easily see him end up in Pittsburgh or Baltimore. Um, if it is, then it's probably not going to end up on a team that matters or he may end up sitting out this year. So we'll see. I mean, you go to you go back to eighteen. Obviously, you know the, the shoulder, the elbow, whatever the issues there. Um, then you know nineteen back to the lower extremities here. Um, Cam Newton's getting very, very old for a man who is not so old yet. And you know, obviously, the NFL didn't do him any favors by letting people just tee off and tee away on a guy who was once an MVP in this league. So uh, definitely a uh, head scratcher as far as that. But yeah, I mean, Raiders do make sense just from the fact that you know you added a bunch of wide receivers. Obviously, maybe you want to open it up vertically. Um, and you have a quarterback that doesn't necessarily do that. Um, you, you wonder if Pittsburgh was interested in Jameis Winston. Would they have that same type of interest to at least have a veteran in the building for post-Ben Roethlisberger life? Or so, God forbid, something happened to Ben Roethlisberger. You're not shredding out Mason Rudolph for the duck, uh, so to speak here. Uh, Pete, before we put a bow on this, what's uh, what's everybody got over in the latest at Browns Digest? Um, well, right now it's rolling out or at least for me, it's rolling out the draft review for the Browns. Uh, last several years, I've done it as sort of all in one piece, but because of the video I, stuff I can do, um, they're, they're, they're separate. It also takes a little bit longer, but um, I'm just going to try to roll out one of those a day. Um, and then, you know, at some point, hopefully I'll be able to get to uh, what the rest of the division did and some of those other things. All right, guys, stuff you ought to look at um, over Browns Digest through SI.com. Again, make sure you're following at Browns Digest on the Twitter machine at underscore Pete Smith underscore. Make sure you're following over there. The show, as always, at Locked on Browns, all lowercase, follow back account, DMs are open. 
Uh, me as well, at Jeff underscore LJ underscore Lloyd. DMs are open. Ideas to put into the show. Questions you got here. Obviously, the one on fifth-year options came through on the DMs. So appreciate that as we were able to get you, know, get you guys some information here that, you know, you're interested in, you're looking forward to keep those coming as always. Only, you know, if you're all going to be here along for the ride, at least we can do is uh, you know, try to get some content in here uh, that you guys are looking forward to and answer some questions. So do appreciate on that aspect. Um, uh, we got to, we just sat down with Pete. We did the uh, undrafted free agent class on Sunday. We sat down, got John Costco's thoughts yesterday from the PFF perspective uh, on the 2020 Browns rookies. Um, so just going to continue to move it along here, you know, and keep going on through. Um, I, I think everybody, I think with draft weekend, everybody kind of got a little bit more into things here now. Maybe, you know, hopefully we're all looking at it as a sign of getting back to some sort of normal life as soon as that can be. And I I think everybody at this point, six weeks in, you know, the itch is becoming, you know, big. It just can't be ignored here. Uh, We all need to get back to what we get back to. Actually, Pete, I know you've been watching here. Um, And it's actually funny because there wasn't much on last night. So I sat down and I watched the entirety of the first four episodes of The Last Dance again. Thoughts here thus far on uh, Last Dance, and thank you, ESPN, for getting this out early, giving us something else to watch around here. Uh, I think it's great uh, overall. Um, I'm fascinated by how often Jordan is just completely diming out teammates and anyone else uh, to whoever will listen. Um, you know, obviously, the best was there, the best was the hand expression. His whole body talking about Pippin and the migraine, and then you see his eyes because he did not believe a word of what he's saying. You see the hand expression, you see the eyes. He's almost rolling his eyes. Oh, he says he's got a migraine. I guess he had a migraine, and it was just like, just say it, Mike. He didn't fucking think for a second he had a migraine. Yeah, I was hoping they'd sort of done more on that, but like because I don't know how many people realize like that was a really big deal at the time, um, and there are a lot of people. Uh, including Jordan, who thought he just tapped out. and Dennis Rodman-itis. Yeah, they didn't really sort of truly hammer that down. But I I, I think for the people who know, like I I picked up on it, it was clear he didn't think he had the migraine. Uh, Look, I mean, you grew up in that time. um, Obviously, you were already in your early 20s. um, Played AAU with Mike, yeah. Uh, with, with the Cavs, I mean, I was in like fourth grade, uh, for the shot and, you know, for years and years and years, it was just like, who the hell puts Craig Elo on, uh, Jordan in that spot? He just like helplessly flailing, um, is is that shot. But I mean, the other part of that is, you know, growing up, you tried to reenact the shot and it was just unbelievable. But yeah, look, he was the evil empire. I, I rooted like hell against Jordan. Uh, but you know, he, he was obviously great. You, you appreciate all this stuff. I thought the fourth episode was far and away the best one, uh, focusing on the Phil Jackson stuff and just the offense, uh, and, and those type of things. I know for a lot of people, it was the Rodman thing in Vegas and all that, but I thought, uh, getting into Phil's background, and I knew a lot of that already, but, uh, just that getting into that piece of it was great. Getting into the piston stuff was great. You I mean, even now, you know, the, however many years later, like Jordan is seething at, 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 at Isaiah Thomas. He absolutely despises Batman. Uh, he would take a shot at him. Oh, there could be, there'd be a charity golf event. And I'll tell you right now, if Jordan was within 10 feet of him, there'd probably be some sort of punch thrown. And uh, look, I mean, a lot of people hated Isaiah Thomas. And it, and it wasn't necessarily Thomas's fault. 
he was a you know he he had this this just absolutely winning smile and all these other things going for him and he was he was he was a really tough competitor and part of that bad boy Pistons team that sort of like in some ways got a pass because he was just this this really nice looking guy he was great in interviews he did all these things and it wasn't until like he tried to run the Knicks that like people you know sort of sort of really actually sort of um were tougher on him but he was just sort of beloved by so many and 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 then he does that and and it just fed into the whole reason that like Jordan just absolutely despised him I mean it was um it was just fascinating sort of to watch just Jordan watching that thing and just angrier and angrier as he's going and uh but far and away the best thing I saw on that whole thing is just Jordan talking about the triangle offense and his just absolutely crushing Cordell Cartwright just murdered him <laughs> on TV <laughs> and like that stuff. And that's, that's who he is. And I think that part of it's fun because you, that's just how ridiculously competitive he is. And those type of things are really, really good. Um, but yeah, I think overall, overall uh, I think the thing has been great. Uh, and obviously filling this time space, makes it even better but yeah I, I think the whole thing is done pretty well i like the fact they're not rushing through things i'm really excited to see the 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 sam smith book stuff come out because that was obviously a big big deal and even in the preview jordan immediately murdering horace grant so uh yeah i mean that that stuff is fascinating to me uh the whole thing is interesting but to me um Look, that 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 era of basketball is really fascinating. That late '80s, early '90s era, where you're going from those Celtics teams to the Pistons to then the Bulls, and just the style of basketball, which one is unheard of at this point, and two probably should be because there are a bunch of players who had no business being in the NBA, who were essentially like goons in hockey, like Rick Mahorn, who Cavs fans will hate forever for what he did to Mark Price. Uh, but just that style of basketball where you didn't actually have to be a really good player as long as you could be six hard fouls. And that, um, and I know there are a lot of people who probably think the NBA is soft in some respects, and it may be, but I mean, the amount of, there were any number of plays where like there were multiple multiple flagrant fouls uh, that, that are just called a, a common foul or things that should have gotten guys ejected that were just, sort of treat or suspended were just treated as well that's just how it goes so there's a lot to that era of basketball that's just great the storylines are great the personalities are great uh so you know whether it was when espn did the uh when they were the, the 30 for 30 stuff and it was the bad boy pistons or some of those things and, and then you know taking out the celtics or, or this part like that stuff's really interesting to me in general so this thing's uh been great a um, couple things for me that came away with um, Phil Jackson and the way they did it and going back to it. It was like, wow. And, you know, they established it like, wow, you know, him and Dennis, Dennis Robin. Yeah, they were really, really similar. Obviously, you know, you know, 20 something years apart. But as far as players, really similar. And you see how the you know, kind of respect became between the two of them. And you know, for anybody younger, I don't think anybody understands 
what winning meant to Michael Jordan and why he, yes, he was just an absolute dick about everything and everybody getting their ass reamed in practice. And I, I, I they haven't gotten to it yet. We'll see if they get to the story where he, you know, basically threw a free, threw a right hand at Steve Kerr and got tossed out of practice, tossed out of practice for that. Um, and the, just imagine if this beat went on during social media, social media error of any professional sport, Scotty Pippen comes back and, Dennis Robbins lobbying to go on vacation to go on. You, you, you have all summer to go on vacation, but could you just imagine approaching your bosses, you know, the top player in your team and saying, guys, I, I just, I just need a little vacation. That's, that's all just a little vacation. I mean, like seriously, you, you're paid to do one thing, play a game. And even Rodman looking back at it, looking at it, just laughing like, Holy shit, I asked to go to Vegas. Like he was like, what the, even Rodman who realized he knows he was a screw up. Like, Holy shit. That's how screwed up I really was. I literally asked to go to Vegas in the middle of the season. Yeah, Rodman. Rodman's fascinating for all. Like, there are people who just don't like him, but I think he's really interesting. The way he came into the NBA and the way he played, he was absolutely phenomenal on the Pistons. Like, the Bulls and and Spurs version are nothing like the guy in Detroit. Um, But he got basically every dime out of the NBA he could. Which good on him. He, you know, he. I, I'm just glad the dude's alive, considering some of the stuff he's gone through. Uh, it's uh, he's just a really interesting dude, even if he's done some incredibly weird things, and obviously he's had to, um, some severe struggles. Uh, and he's uh, only had like a few people he really sort of got, and or like really got him and Chuck Daly. Um, was devastating for him when not only when he's fired, but ultimately when Chuck Daly died. Uh, and then uh, Phil Jackson was a big deal. And, you know, th- those support systems were important for him. But he's just a, uh, a really interesting guy in a, in a you know, for, for Cavs fans, you know, that is what you were hoping uh, Tristan Thompson was for you. And ultimately in the championship, that's what he was. He was that type of dude. You just hustle, jumping, playing defense and getting rebounds and just wearing on people. And that's exactly what happened. Now, not what Rodman was. Rodman could guard anyone, but just a, uh, a, a player that points don't tell you the whole story. And, and, and you, you see all these box scores where Rodman, uh, I, I don't know if he specifically went out those nights and just said, I'm going to dominate this game or do whatever without scoring a single point. You'd get like 25 rebounds or what, but there are a bunch of those type of games. So it's just uh, just a, a weird way to think about basketball. And he's brilliant as far as a basketball player goes, which just makes it all that more, more interesting. Yeah, and actually yeah, the part where he was talking about, you know, the way each shooter shot and the ball, the way the ball came off the rim. And you look at this guy and obviously, you know, the crazy hair and all the piercings, you know, tattooed, you know, more skin tattooed than not. And you saw that there was actually some intelligence to him, knew the game and actually appreciated the game, even if, you know, off the court, he was, you know, certainly, certainly uh, a, a different different man in that respect here. All right, guys, that's enough for this time. Uh, we'll get back here, obviously, later, uh, either later today or tomorrow. I'm um, just continuing to put out here. Things come up, just put out the best content we can for you guys. This has been your daily delivery of all things Dog Pound. LGB on the LOB. Let's go Browns.